the What Bitcoin Did podcast. Hello there from Bedford. How are you all? How are you all coping with the lockdown and all this craziness that's going on in the world right now? This is a, a little bit unscripted. I just wanted to say something before the show starts. I myself uh, living through what is unprecedented. I think it's unprecedented really for any of us who are were born after the war who didn't live through any wartime. These are very strange times and the impact on the global economy is going to be felt for a long time by a lot of people. So listen, I just want to say I hope you're all doing well out there. I know there are people who are scared, who are angry, who are confused. I just hope everyone is doing well. I hope you're keeping safe I, I, both uh, and healthy, both physically and mentally. And yes, if anyone wants to reach out, anyone wants someone to talk to, I'm always here if I can help anyone through this time of crisis. If it's someone to talk to or, you know, even if you're worried about your business and you are thinking, can you do anything online? Give me a shout. I'm happy to help with ideas. So, yes, hope you're all doing well. And also welcome to my show. Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Kraken, with the best place to buy, sell and trade Bitcoin as you know, I'm your host, I'm Peter McCormack, and today I've got an interview with Rao Powell, where we're going to discuss the coronavirus impact on the global economy. But before that, I've got a message from my show sponsors, and these are just short ads today. This was a, a short, punchy, 30-odd minute show with Rao due to time restrictions, so I'm just going to give a very quick shout out to all my sponsors. So firstly, we have the amazing BlockFi, the future of Bitcoin and financial services with their crypto back loans and interest accounts. If you want to find out more, head over to BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. And we also have the mighty Kraken, the best place to buy, sell and trade Bitcoin, consistently rated the best and most secure cryptocurrency exchange. And with Kraken Pro, their beautiful mobile first app, you can trade Bitcoin wherever you want. Head over to Kraken.com or download the app from the iPhone or Android stores. Just search for Kraken Pro, which is K-R-A-K-E-M-P-R-O. We also have Sat Street which gives you many ways to earn Bitcoin by bringing together the top referral programs in the industry in one place. SatStreet will also reward you for every person you invite that earns Bitcoin. You can find out more at satstreet.com, which is S-A-T-S-T-R-E-E-T.com. Also, with Coronavirus, Blockchain Week and Consensus is now a completely virtual event. They're still going to bring together the community to educate, grow, and create meaningful connections with some of the best minds in Bitcoin. If you want to register, you can do for free at consensus2020.com, which is C-O-N-S-E-N-S-U-S-2020.com. And lastly, but not least, is Cointracker, the easiest way to calculate your Bitcoin taxes with filings for the US, UK, Canada, and Australia. If you want to find out more, head over to Cointracker.io, which is C-O-I-N-T-R-A-C-K-E-R.io. All right, so on to the show, and once again, I'm joined by Rao Powell, one of my favorite people to interview. Rao is a leading macroeconomist who has worked for Goldman Sachs, managed head funds, and advised some of the largest funds in the world. He definitely knows the markets, and with the global economy in somewhat of a meltdown right now, people are rightly questioning the state response and also worried about the real impact on people. Having seen Rao post some of the more rational takes on this on Twitter... And with myself wrestling with what's happening, 
I knew I wanted to talk to Rao. I knew I wanted to just pick his brain and tell him some of the things I'm thinking about and see where, where he is heading. So it's only a short episode today. We did have a time restriction, but I think we get through some very important subjects in a very short amount of time. If you've got any questions about this, and if you don't agree with me, do feel free to reach out. People do this all the time, and I'm always happy to talk about this. Just reach out to me, Twitter DM, or email me on hello at whatbitcoindid.com. And I just hope you're all keeping safe. I hope you're all healthy. I hope you're all getting through this okay. I am thinking of all of you, honestly. I love you all as my listeners and appreciate all of you have supported the show over the last couple of years. If I can help you in any way, please do reach out to me. Stay both physically and mentally healthy and have a great weekend as best as you can in this lockdown. Raul, how are you? I'm good, my friend. I'm slightly overwhelmed with what's been going on, but... Um, yeah. I'm I'm self isolated in Little Cayman, so it's okay. My wife's got, I think, COVID, and she's in Grand Cayman. She can't fly over. She's been ill for over two weeks now. Oh gosh! So it's the world we live in. She's okay over the worst of it. Yeah, well, over the worst, it just drags on and on and on. I mean, she's just lethargic, not feeling well. I think her cough is now gone, and I think the temperature's gone, but she's just wiped out. You know, that post viral feeling of feeling wiped out, and she's still yeah. in that stage. So when I got back from Turkey, I was sick and I was really, really sick for three days and then kind of got better, but just had this tiredness that I've not had post flu before where I was just, just so lethargic. And I still don't know if I had it because they wouldn't test me, but but very strange world right now. How do you take it all in? Well, I was lucky ahead of a lot of this. So I saw what was happening in China and, and by probably late Jan, I'd figured out what was going to happen. Okay. So that was great. But now the kind of news flows caught up with where I got to. So now it becomes a bit overwhelming because it's now turned into a political thing about how yeah. you should react and how you shouldn't. So it becomes a really complicated world. And now forecasting going forwards becomes more difficult because there is a number of potential outcomes. So it does. It's, it is overwhelming, and I'm trying now to narrow myself so I don't get as much input anymore. Because at first you want to see the input to know all the different variables, and now I think there's too many variables, and you need to now make some decisions on. Okay, what does this all mean? Right. Okay. Well, look, there were two main reasons I wanted to talk to you. Firstly, I wanted to talk about the economic side of this because. I'm not an economist. I, I don't analyze the markets the way you do. And I try and build a show for people who who are similar, who just go to work and they want a bite-sized explanation of what's going on in the world. And I thought that would be very useful. But also, I kind of got stuck in the middle of this, you say the political side, this... It feels like there's two sides to this. There's a, a group of people who think this is a massive overreaction and we shouldn't be killing the economy. And then there's a group of people who think this is deserves an overreaction. And it, it appears to be a, almost like battle lines are being drawn. And I saw one of your tweets. You were having a discussion back and forth. And, and you, actually, you, you put out something that was quite human that I uh, empathise with where you said people are scared, there's people dying and hospitals are overrun. I think you ask them, what's your point here? So I kind of felt like you're in that zone there where you're not sure how to deal with this. Listen, it is a world of suboptimal choices. And you can make the choice of sacrificing the economy for the sake of society. Or you can 
sacrifice some of society for the sake of the economy. And within that is a whole range of outcomes. Mm -hmm. We're all acting with the imperfect information because almost everything is built on a model of which we don't know. And it's much more complicated than most people understand. So I am in the Cayman Islands. We've gone to full 24-7 curfew. And we are testing and we're isolating and we are trying to get to grips with it. And I'm very comfortable with that approach here because I live in a country that has two societal differences to others. One is we're used to this because we have hurricanes. So when you have a hurricane, Hurricane Ivan basically flooded the entire, the, the entire island, went underwater and disappeared from satellites. It took out like 60% of all the buildings and knocked out life for six months on the island. So it was a total obliteration of the island. But people as a society of the Cayman Islands have always lived with hurricanes. So they understand that part of life is the sacrifice that sometimes Mother Nature gives you, that you have to rebuild a society. And, and that that's okay, it's part of the cycle of life and the cycle of nature and how things work. So there's a certain acceptance here in that's okay. The other societal difference here is there's a reverence for old people. It's quite a religious society. And so a reverence for old people and an understanding that sometimes society has to take hardship and we are in this together means that they are not averse to doing this. Um, I found that Europe, because of its understanding of its war history, has an understanding that this may be necessary. And they understand that maybe it's an overreaction. We will never know, but we do know. And it's like the Pascal's dilemma is it's a choice you have to take because the other side could be catastrophic. And sure, somebody with a model may tell you that it's not, and maybe they're right, but it's not something we want to do. Yeah. So Europe is much more comfortable with those kind of choices, particularly, again, the countries. Mediterranean countries that have an old population and that revere their old population. Again, they tend to be more religious countries. So, or, or not religious per se, but have religious foundations. So the societal structure is based around um, church and family and that kind of stuff. So those countries will accept that sacrifice. The US is, uh, is probably in the extreme where it's a mix between the two. You know, some people are like, sacrifice everything for the economy, it's okay. You know, it's not a big event statistically, not that many people die. Of course, they're right too. Does it overwhelm the hospitals? We don't know, but the risk is reasonably high. New York's showing that. Will it not do it in other places? Of course. This is not a consistent variable that we can apply everywhere. So we don't know. And anybody who says they do know is lying. Yeah. So I'm not prepared. I'm prepared to have sacrifices and other people aren't. I get it. It is devastating for economies for everybody to be tipped out of work for an unknown period of time. Is it six weeks? Is it three months? Is it six months? I don't know. It's the same when a hurricane hits. I just don't know. We just do our best to rebuild afterwards, and we will, we will rebuild things that are better after this happens, but we all will have to take some collective pain. Now, let's assume that we go the route of doing nothing, and let's assume that it's not terrible, but it's bad. So the, all the alarmists about millions of people dying are wrong, but it's, it creates a societal scar because not only like my wife is unable to work for 
three weeks probably because she's had the virus and has up 18 of her staff. There's a bunch of people like that. There's a bunch of people who see their parents die or grandparents die and it creates a societal fear and they're still going to have to shut down parts of the economy to deal with these clusters. So what you do is you dampen economic growth anyway and you drag it out over a longer period of time. Now, that means that you could have nine months or 12 months of impact until we've, we can roll out the vaccines and roll out the things that make the, your survival rates or the rates that which you improve from, from the virus better. So that takes time. It's not going to happen in three months. You can't roll it out to 7.7 billion. It's a global epidemic here, pandemic. You know, it's including Brazil and India and every country you're naming, you know, the Cayman Islands and Dominican Republic and, you know, it's, it's everywhere. So the chance of eradicating it in one go is zero. So you've got a huge economic overhang anyway. So do you try and take more of that economic overhang early and hope that the tail of it, i.e. the next six months, is slightly better because of it and people are less fearful? That's probably my choice. Is that the right one? I have no idea. Yeah. Uh, is the right idea to not do that and deal with the the virus as it flares up and have a society that basically can't open the doors. So Cayman's going to go down this. It's going to go, uh, there was a great article called The Hammer and the Dance, which is go hard on it first, reduce the number, and then and then deal with clusters as they come. So that's what Cayman's strategy is right now. Actually, so I what think I saw that. that, that it, it was put into a chart. Correct. Yes, I saw and that. a great article on Medium about it. Mm. So what that really means is, and Cayman's doing that, it's like shut down, stop everything, find out where we are, treat as many cases, find out where the clusters are. Then once you uh, control of the virus, Singapore did this roughly, as did South Korea, is you can then reopen parts of the economy because you know basically what's going on. And then you will close down parts because that area, oh my God, they've got a problem there. We close that, but it's kind of containable. And that's okay, but it, it, it creates a, a slow economic output going forwards but the other thing is is cayman's not going to open its borders with the us if the us doesn't deal with this in a more cohesive strategy so if the us does open up by april well cayman can't open its borders because we're going to risk our population and people aren't thinking about the overhangs of different countries having different outcomes you know it's all well and good yeah. saying well it's great what singapore and south korea did but if you don't follow suit well, you, you create a different set of outcomes, and people aren't modeling the different set of outcomes either. So it's a very, very complicated world. I don't want to get involved in the total shit fight between everybody because they're turning it into politics. Yes. And what you need to be, I think, is pragmatic and understand there are no great answers, and every answer has a bad outcome for all of us. And I understand people have a different view and a different value yeah. system to it, and that's fair. You know, I'm a very liberal person, and different people can have different views. And yes, you will be imposed one view by your government. And that's what you vote for. There's one other element that comes into this, sorry. To, no, it's to good. Is the other element that comes into this is the fear of the restriction of, of freedom of the individual. Yes. So, for example, if you look at Singapore and South Korea, everybody's on an app. They track everybody they knew who it is, right? So that's a new world where governments are now tracking everything you do, including your health. And some people are very uncomfortable with that. Other people are comfortable with it. It depends, Is there can there be abuse of power by passing emergency re uh, regulations and legislation? 
for sure. And we've been in that slightly, well, not slightly, we're in a populist, slightly authoritarian, strongman world. So that could be used against you. I get it. And I also get that it becomes a party political thing. So could the other party take it, beat you over the head with it, and then impose their system? Probably. All I kind of know, and we've probably talked about this before, societal change is coming out of this, whether anybody likes it or not. We're not returning back to what we know. What the future lies, I have no idea. In economic terms, I think it's even bigger. Um, I think potentially, again, as you and I talked about last time, you know, the financial system and the system of money and debt and is all at risk within this. We don't know how it's going to play out in the shorter term, but we kind of know where it's going. Yeah, it's uh, it's really interesting that you gave such a long answer and not and not, not a criticism in that. There's so much nuance in this. It's very you can't debate this on Twitter. You have to you have to try and look at all the scenarios. And something you said about uh, knowing with certainty it just reflects a, a tweet I did put out though. Conversely, I said uh, it's sometimes uh, some people will be on the wrong wrong side of history in a few months. Either they underreacted as many died, or they overreacted and the economy collapsed. Both scenarios have other consequences. I struggle to see how anyone can know with certainty what is best. And, and the worst it. thing, the worst thing would be blame. If you start to blame people with the opposing view to say you screwed up, what you're creating is the kindling for societal unrest. Yes. People have got to stop this, even though they think they're right and they're trying to do the right for the greater good. It's like, you know, we've seen it in, in your world in the crypto community as well. Tough is world. tribalism does not solve anything for anybody. Yeah, it's a very tricky world as well because, especially in the Bitcoin world, we've got a lot of libertarians and anarcho-capitalists and, and people who very much fear the government and dislike the government. And do you know what, Rao? I empathise with so much they have to say about the government because we have a history of uh, poor government performance, government started wars, governments uh, mismanaging the economy. I get all of that. I, I get all of that. But I came out the other day and said, well, you know what, right now I'm a statist. I, I think we need the government. I think we need to centralise the decision-making around this because... Their argument, would be, their argument would be, yeah, because they created panic and turned you into a statist. So yes, now you're their, their puppet. I, I'm like you, I, but I think that's a European view as well. Yeah. Because don't forget, out of World War II came the National Health Service. Mm -hmm. You know, out of World War II became the pension system in the UK. You know... So we're used to the state playing a collective role of which we're comfortable with. And we don't think of it as a necessarily a threat. Different people see it differently. Um, and I veer between the two. I'm, you know, I'm a big believer in free markets and everything else and freedom of the individual. I also believe in the role of state. And those two don't have to be the opposite ends of the spectrum. There no. is a way that they can coexist. But this well, world that we, we live in is a terribly polarised world. Yeah, and I believe that you can believe... I, th I think you can believe in a role of the state, but not agree with the state as it is. Like, I, I like the libertarian view of a smaller state, a much smaller state. I don't see a world where you can just eradicate the state and, and, the, and the world not dis descend into kind of Mad Max. I think, I think you have to be practical about some of your ideas around this. But I think also with this, a lot of it comes down to is... Right now, the decision is the economy and risk to life. And we, like you said, we've got imperfect information. We don't know if this would have led to tens, hundreds, 
we don't know the numbers. It's imperfect information, but it's certainly a disease that spreads quickly, and it's certainly a disease that uh, is killing a high number of people in in the outbreaks that we've seen so far. And so I just come from the position of I think I would rather take the economic pain and focus on saving life. Then people come in and say, well, the long-term economic pain might cause the loss of more life. And I always say, I can only deal with what's in front of me now, not a model that I can't see happening. And what this has done in this kind of Bitcoin world is that the status has become an insult. You're a status. And it's kind of like... I don't know. I'm, di- I- I'm talking to my friends who aren't uh, uh, even in finance. I'm talking to my friends who are builders or doctors or all different types of jobs, and they're all very scared. And they they all very much support a lockdown. They really do because they don't trust people to make the right decision right now in these extreme circumstances. And aligning with them and agreeing with them is almost career risking for me. And that's unfortunate. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's unfortunate that people just don't understand the value of pragmatism in solving or creating solutions in suboptimal outcomes. Um, and so I'm just not interested in getting into that debate. So I've just withdrawn from Twitter to have anything involved with this. And it's much like the US politics was before, or the UK politics with Brexit, is there is no point because your voice is trampled by the polarity of others. Um, so, you know, for me, again, like you, I'm extremely pleased with how the Cayman Islands has dealt with it. I think everybody here is because it works for our society. Right, so I've got one question about the Cayman Islands and then really I just want to focus on the economics bit. I know you've got a limited amount of time. Just specifically with regard to the Cayman, because I was thinking about this about a number of communities. How much does Cayman rely on imports of certain items such as food and is that a risk in a lockdown that you cannot source enough supplies or is Cayman able to be self-sufficient? No, it's not. That imports everything. Right. So we, that is the weakest link in the chain for Cayman. For a number of other reasons, it's one of the safest places in the world to live in a complex geopolitical world um, and also a world where you know, global taxation has to try and offset the retirements of the elder population and the debt issues and everything else. So Cayman works very well. It's one weakness is that. Is it, it, it is... The, the global food chains are too important to it. Now, obviously, tourism is another. I think the movement of food still continues. I don't see any real reason. War would be the only thing that would stop the movement of food because ships can't pass. But, you know, the Caribbean is patrolled both by the British Navy, the French Navy, and the US Navy. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe even the Dutch Navy, I'm not sure. So in which case, it, yeah, it's a relatively protected place amongst all the places in the world. Um, but... Uh, tourism and the freedom of travel when you live in a small island that's what is going to hit us because we will mainly reopen internally so we can do stuff and with a lot of outward facing businesses the financial services industry the lawyers and the accountants and stuff they will continue to do work bring in gdp for the for the for the cayman islands problem is is we have a huge tourism industry and we cannot let people in who are not disease free we have no clear way of testing that at borders yet that'll all come but, you know, again, you know, we'll go to a world where we're all going to get tested for health every time we enter a country. The world is changing. Society yeah. is changing. And we, we can fight it all we want. But it's not going away. Well, so I was thinking through that scenario now, and I, I imagine there's going to be agreements between countries that people actually tested before they get on flights. 
Correct. before they leave the country. If okay. they can do same a as same as passports, right? Yeah. You know, you'll need to show a certificate of health. I mean, we do it with vaccination for yellow fever, and you do it with typhoid, cholera, and hepatitis when you're traveling to certain countries, not let in without yeah. having that. And if you come from an African country and you want to get back and you have been inoculated, you're not allowed. So it's normal. People just forget that. Yeah, well, yeah, they do. And, and another thing I was thinking about the supply chain is, well, will the food supply chains continue? But but what about within the food supply chain, you might have the machines that people use for harvesting. Are those companies continuing? Or things I was thinking like shampoo, are the chemical companies, are they, have they stopped work? What is critical well, look, business? I mean, the question is, is how many companies are going to go to the wall in this? Of course. We have no idea. What does that mean for global supply chains going forward? Well, we already had trade tariffs. So now we've had this, and it's exposed how weak our globalized world is. We thought it was actually anti-fragile by having a large distribution network. Basically, it's all China, which makes it difficult. And now you realize that it exposes your domestic economy should something go wrong with your largest trading partners. So, yes, I think it changes everything going forwards. I don't think the world will remain the same. Right. Okay. So look, the thing I'd like to focus on now with you is something that I think you could be really helpful with is there's going to be a lot of people worried or unable to interpret what is going on in the global economy. They will recognize that the government are making huge payouts. So for example, in the UK, up to 80% of wages are going to be paid. And they've just announced even for freelance or um, independent workers, they'll pay up to 80% of profits in the last three years on the average of the last three years. So there's a lot of government borrowing slash money printing going on. None of my friends understand the potential risk with inflation to this. So it would be really great, Rao, and this might even be a long answer, but if you can just kind of interpret what is going on and interpret for people what it actually means and what the risks are to them. Big question. So very good that the government is trying to fill this short GDP gap, right? Everybody's been hit. So the government's going to step in. That's what governments should do. Exactly the right thing. Now, they can't fill the whole gap, but they're going to try and make it like it's, a, it's an average recession for people and not the biggest economic event of all of our lifetimes, which is what it actually is. That's fine. I don't think that's inflationary. I don't think anything that doesn't do anything. It just means that the overall net outcome is less bankruptcy initially. The real question is, if this drags on, A, whether the quarantining or the national psyche, how scarred we are from it, or just that other countries don't shut down enough and the virus spreads and we get a, a second wave in the winter and this thing rolls into March 2021. Okay, then we've got a big problem because governments can't afford to help everybody out. So what they've done is given their best shot. They bought everybody six weeks to two months, maybe even three months. So in the Cayman Islands, they've just, uh, I just got a phone call from the bank. They've just paused my mortgage for three months. Okay, great. They can't pause it for six because they're, they're going to be out of business. So my fear is after this period, what does the world look like? And if that's the case, then it is going to be ongoing unemployment. So for many of our friends, it's going to be tough. It's difficult. The governments will then try and borrow more money to try and help people. Again, it's the right thing to do. 
problem is if you're taking essentially all of the economic burden plus helping firms with their debts and people with their mortgages, you're basically taking all of the economic burden and all of the debts and putting it on the government balance sheet. So people in the UK will remember that they did this with the banks. But now we're doing it with the credit markets, maybe the equity markets, maybe the pension system and the economic losses. Well, the only way to fund that is by printing money. And if every country is doing it at the same time, you're going to create an environment where money is worth less. Now, does that mean we get inflation? I think in a debt deflation, which is what this is, we don't create inflation, but we create a situation where the purchasing power of money versus, let's say, gold or Bitcoin will go down. And we will see a system where, and I think Japan gets to it, where it ends up buying all of its debt and putting it on the balance sheet of the bank, and in which case currencies can collapse. Now, that does look like that could be a one element of hyperinflation or high sustained inflation would be a collapse of currencies at the end of this. This is exactly why Bitcoin exists. This was the problem that it was built for to start with. In that world where the financial system is struggling, well, the ability to make payments, to have a store of value, and to record ownership are the, basically the three tenets of what Bitcoin and cryptocurrency overall does and the blockchain does. And that's a very reassuring thing to know that there is a plan B. Now, maybe that doesn't all happen, but my risk is, my fear is for everybody, and this is talking to non-finance people, is be really careful in assuming that this goes away quickly. Just be careful. I know also saying that by telling people to be careful almost guarantees that e the economy will be slow because people won't be spending. But I think people understand that. Uh, it, you're you're going to have to survive this, uh, and it's going to take some real effort. It's also here... Are you dealing with imperfect information in, in terms, in similar to trying to map the virus itself in that this is such an unprecedented scenario? Like we've seen localized collapse of currencies, but we've never seen this on a global scale, such a situation like this. Uh, is this a similar situation where it's very difficult for anyone to predict what's going to happen? Correct. All I know is there's several outcomes that are very bad. That is the everything returns to normal. It's a slightly U-shaped recovery. And by September, October, you know, we're seeing the, the, the back end of this. It's okay. Let's use that as our base case. That's fine. Yeah. But we as humans have to plan for the worst case because we need to make sure that we can survive it in terms economically. So I don't know the outcome. Mm -hmm. My hunch is actually it goes on longer. Okay. And that's my job as a markets and economic forecaster to start thinking that through and fleshing that idea out. I understand that society overall thinks this is a shorter event. That's good. Let's hope it is. Um, right. We'll see. I wouldn't tell you to give people financial advice, but I think a better way is <laughs> ask you the type of things that you are doing to be prudent through this. I know what I'm doing, right? Um, and actually, uh, just one thing I've done is which might sound mad, is I, I, I'm okay with my amount of Bitcoin, I'm okay with my amount of cash, but I've never actually had any gold. And I've just started looking into getting some gold right now, and physical gold, not not any kind of gold notes, actual buying some physical gold and having it 
so away. I, I hate this because it sounds extreme and every time you do this and you get proven wrong, everyone calls you a fear monger. I'm the same. Cash, including physical cash. Yes. <laughs> gold, physical gold, Bitcoin, and hustling for revenue yes. and, saving, and saving money. Yes. So I hadn't thought of the other two, but, you know, you're right. I mean, yeah, I, had, I, I know you're right, and it's obvious when you think about it. I haven't seen any economic impact on the work I do yet, so that hadn't uh, crossed my mind. But, no, but just, it may do. It may do. And so what yeah. you should be doing is trying to bring your pipeline of any income stream you can earn forward, mm. spend less so you've got a better balance sheet should that play out. If I'm wrong, who cares? You've just got a better balance sheet. So it's making your own balance sheet better. It's funny, during this process, though, I've, I've warned people about considering buying a little bit of Bitcoin just to ride through this process, but it's always been a very difficult thing to, to try and convince people. But listen, look, I'll, I'll give you one more question. We'll leave this as a short one. I know you've got something to get yeah, onto. Just a final yeah. question. Have, have you ever found a good way of explaining or convincing people they should consider Bitcoin? Because... I st I've still yet to do it, and I wonder if it's really it's really a, a post-pain event that people learn from. I don't think you could have convinced people to to understand what fiat currency was. I don't think you could tell people what gold was. Mm. You know, if you went to an, a, a Martian and said, oh, well, this is this shiny metal that you can't destroy and can't create. It just is, and we call it money. And we're going to exchange it for each other so I don't have to swap bread for a part of my cow. They'll go, why, why would you use this? It, the point being is adoption takes time. It is not an instantaneous moment where the light bulb goes off. It is that adoption curve. It always will be. And there's almost nothing we can do about it, even though we're part of trying to create an adoption curve. That adoption curve is just going to happen over time. And that's okay. It's just how it works. And, you know, what you get paid for in Bitcoin, which makes it interesting, is you get paid to be an early adopter. Right. I'm going to steal those five points, by the way, but I will hat tip you. <laughs> Listen, Raoul, I appreciate your time at short notice to do this. I know you're busy. Let's catch up maybe in a month or two and see where the world, where we are in the world. We'd love to. Now, also, I can't fail but give a plug to Real Vision, so make well, sure people go. I was right. about to do that. It's perfect. It's just that we are... We create a daily briefing that gives everybody an idea of what's going on with the coronavirus, yeah. how it affects things, the analysis. We've got all the world's leading financial experts. Uh, so just realvision.com, and there's a number of options. There's a free option. There's um, various tiers of subscription, but you will get all the information you need of what's going on in the world from that. So, you know, and there's a $1 trial as well, so there's no real excuse not to educate yourself sharpish because this right. is a very, very important time. Yes, it is. So I'll put that into the show notes and I wish you the best with it. And I, I will wax lyrical about Real Vision. I've watched a number of the videos. They are bloody brilliant. Not just good content, but really high quality production. Would you say it's fair to say it's the financial Netflix? Yeah, it's either the, the Netflix of finance or the economist of the video age. Yeah, nice. Um, the only problem is, is that high production values are out the window right now because we're all on Skype doing it from home. But yeah. we, get, we get extraordinary guests. So... You know, we, we're a very privileged situation in this. All right. Well, listen, all the best. Anything I can do for you, just reach out to me. Brilliant. Thank you, mate. Good to speak to you as ever. Okay, so what did you think of that one? Did you enjoy that show with Rao? I always appreciate his more rational approach to explaining economics. 
He is one of my go-to people. Also, I think he identified rightly why perhaps he and I take a different view on the crisis than maybe some of my listeners in America. I think that's something that needs to be appreciated when we're all out there fighting and shouting each other on Twitter about our thoughts on the response from the state and what is going on. And I'll be honest, look, I'm really wrestling with a number of subjects here. Bitcoin turned my world a couple of years ago. It made me really question my thinking with regards to the state and the government. I went down the libertarian rabbit hole. Definitely appreciate a lot of the views with regards to liberty and open markets and free markets. I never never fully got there. If you listen to some of my previous shows with Eric Voorhees or Stefan Levera or even Michael Goldstein, you'll see that like I'm wrestling with some of the subjects. And also right now, this crisis is rock my world again. It's making me think, are certain things better centralised? Now, look, some people have gone on Twitter and called me a fucking status and all that stuff. It, I'm not somebody who's sitting here saying, oh, I love the state and I love everything the state has done and I support the state. I am just trying to wrestle with the concept is of right now, in this very moment, in this very situation, is the state response the best one? And I just don't know. And I don't want to get this wrong because I think the consequences are huge, but I am wrestling with it and I am questioning it and I will always question it. So anyone losing their shit with me, I'm not just here to cheerlead Bitcoin. I want to question everything. And uh, yeah, I'm definitely considering things right now. I'm wrestling with some very complicated subjects. Happy to discuss it with anyone. Look, you can reach out to me at any point. Anyone wants to talk to me, call me, DM me, email me, do it. I, I, I will tell you exactly what I'm thinking and why. Uh, I would ask you try and remain on the more civil side. I think some of the uh, responses have been quite abusive and unnecessary. We don't really make progress without questioning things or debating things. Anyway, uh, listen, I hope you enjoyed the show. If you do have any questions, you do want to talk to me, you can reach out to me. It's hello at whatbitcoindid.com. 